Welcome to episode 7 of the 20 Bell Salute. I am Mr. Fretz from the Game Changer Podcast right here on Wrestle Addict Radio. You can find me and good brother and co-host Nate the Effin' Great at Real Effin' Game every Saturday. Today, I am going back 20 years into the past, into March 2000 in pop culture and video games. So join me right now in my Y2K compliant DeLorean as we review WrestleMania 2000 and beyond. And starting with the movies, we have the first Final Destination, a American supernatural horror film directed by James Wong. Now, this is just how do how do I describe this? This is Alex Browning, played by Devin Sawa, about to board a f- a seven forty seven flight to Paris, France, for a, a school trip. And before takeoff, Alex has a premonition that the plane will explode in midair, killing everyone on board. And when certain events of his vision begin to take place, he panics, a fight breaks out, and, you know, he has a rival in his um, in his class named Carter Horton. Uh, several passengers have to be removed from the plane, and this is just, you know, everybody. Uh, 39 days later, the survivors of this plane crash uh, attend memorial service for the victims. And that night, an unusual chain reaction starts to take place. You know, one person is strangled to death in their shower. However, it is deemed a suicide, but, but you know, uh, and a whole bunch of other wacky things happen like i think someone gets smoked by a transport truck uh someone else is in an explosion and i don't think it was intended to be funny but to me this wasn't like your your whodunit slasher films like scream and i know what you did last summer that were previously popular in people my age range you know uh I've been going through the past few episodes that, you know, I was about to turn 16. Actually, I would in April 2000, so I can talk about my 16th birthday there. Wasn't very eventful, just had some friends over and we hung out. That that, that was it. I got maybe like a wrestling tape. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember. So, this movie here, it has uh, Devin Sawa, Sean Williams Scott... And a bevy of unknown actors and actresses, at least ones that are unknown to me, like Amanda Detmer, Brandon Fair, Tony Todd, uh, Kristen Cloak, Care Smith, Allie Larder. These are no names that I am at all familiar with. So this this movie was silly, and I'm not sure if it was intended to be, but it was relatively harmless. It it's probably a movie I would not revisit today because, well, you know, uh, not a lot of the movies that we that we were covering at this point in time were like, you know, for example, whatever it takes. I'm not even going to talk about it. It's just one of your, you know, not another teen movie, teen movies. And 
coincidentally, I think this year I get to talk about Not Another Teen Movie, and it's... Well, at the time I found it funny, because it was spoofing things like Can't Hardly Wait, American Pie, Breakfast Club, um, that other Molly Ringwald movie, 16 or something like that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an 80s kid, and I can't remember the name of a Molly Ringwald movie. I should be ashamed of myself, because when... Well, I was a baby when she was a thing, so... I couldn't say she was hot because when I was five, girls had cooties. <laughs> so next in in here, we have Aaron Brockovich, a biographical film directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Susanna Grant. The true story of, well, Aaron Brockovich herself, who is portrayed by Julia Roberts. Uh, Aaron Brockovich is an unemployed single mother of three, injured in a traffic accident, and suing i you know what i i i can't speak of this movie because i never watched it you know in 2000 i only wanted to watch like you know slasher movies with tits or wrestling or uh funny teen comedies with tits so i i can't really speak into this movie apparently the true story is is well done it was well received by you know i think the brockovich family themselves but this, of course, had Aaron Eckert, Albert Finney, uh, well, Julia Roberts, of course, and well, Aaron Brockovich herself makes a cameo in this movie, so it makes things a, a little bit interesting. We also had Skulls, The Road to El Dorado, which is, just, I think, an animated. It's either a DreamWorks or a Disney venture. I didn't look into either of these. Skulls was just one of those. You know, 2000s teen angst, something, I think, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, that kind of stuff. But the one movie I really, really want to highlight this month is something, I think it technically came out in 1999, but it was released in theaters in March 2000. And it is Beyond the Mat. Now, Beyond the Mat, of course, you know, the, the wrestling documentary... It primarily focuses on the careers and lives of Mick Foley, Terry Funk, and Jake the Snake Roberts, as an example. But it does lean in towards some other events like the uh, the hiring process for new talent, namely Mike Modest and Christopher Daniels in the WWE. Now this was my first foray into the backstage side of wrestling. You know the kayfabe side of wrestling. This is, I think this was actually when I found out that wrestling was fake. Um, well, a lot of wrestlers are going to hate me for saying that. Actually, I don't know any wrestlers who actually listen to this. So, a lot of fans also hate the word fake, and they have the need to defend wrestling. It's like it's just your hobby. I mean, it's it's no different than Magic the Gathering or D and D. Or your, or, or like your favorite TV shows, like break, like you know Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones. It's no different. It's scripted entertainment. So this film begins with uh, director Barry Blaustein discussing his love for pro wrestling, and he shows clips of WWE, ECW. Uh, he focuses on three famous wrestlers, one at the height of his career, Mankind. One contemplating retirement, Terry Funk, although he technically wouldn't for, I don't know, another 10 years after this. 
and one at a career low with Jake the Snake Roberts. And I think this, the Jake the Snake Roberts section of this movie would pair well with watching the resurrection of Jake the Snake immediately after because you just see the the 180, the, the turn that, that Jake had. This, me being a big Jake the Snake fan since I was little, this was hard to watch. And it made me disrespect him for a long time. Like I, I didn't even know about that incident at uh, Legend that was that Legends of Wrestling show that every other, you know, podcast on planet Earth has covered. And no, we are not covering it, Nate. Um, bad, b- bad event. And is it the whole Jake the Snake was loaded there, and you know, twenty two, uh, twenty one, and you know, Yokozuna was like months away from dying, and he was something like eight hundred pounds at this point in time. Jim Neidhart was intoxicated. A whole bunch of bad, bad wrestling, bad time. As cool as it is to like want to relive the glory days. In 2000, your heroes from 1984 are not the same. It, it's hard. So, anyways, we start off with, you know, Terry Funk is profiled here. He is 53 years old in like the late uh, 90s. He is in need of a knee surgery, but he is stubborn as heck, and he won't retire, despite the fact that wrestling is taking a toll on his body. And Blaustein follows him around uh, as he competes at ECW's first ever pay-per-view, Barely Legal. Good event, by the way. Highly suggest it. Funk appears with his... uh, Friend and former wrestler Dennis Stamp, also from Amarillo, Texas. Side note, I have been to Amarillo, and it's a very small, quaint little town in in, uh, northern Texas. I can't remember the name of this restaurant I went to, but I remember it had an amazing, like, Tex-Mex burger and peanut butter pie. It's a place that my friends... When they went to the Grand Canyon before me, they highly suggested this particular restaurant in Amarillo. And I'll, I will actually get back to you on to, as to what that is because it was delicious. Peanut butter pie and like a burger with queso sauce and tortilla chips and cheese. Oh, man. So good. Anyways, Seidberg done. Uh Stamp wants to work as a referee in this upcoming quote-unquote retirement match because as we know, as I've actually been covering in WCW, and spoiler alert, in the WCW event I am briefly touching on later, Terry Funk is still competing. Although this is 2020 and Terry Funk has long since retired, I actually thought he died, but I do believe he is still alive. Let, let me ask. Hey Siri, Google Terry Funk. Here's what I found. Uh, yep, Terry Funk is still alive. Born 1944. Thanks, Siri. So, Funk, his former tag team partner and rival and whatnot, Mick Foley, is profiled next. And he has been at the time taking increasingly risky bumps and blows to the head. Uh, he is here talking incoherently as a result of his Hell in the Cell match. That is showcased. Uh, that rendered him unconscious. 
You know, like that time he got choke slammed through the roof and the chair just came and smashed him in the face. No. And then at the I Quit match at 1999's King of the Ring, you know, clips of Foley and his wife and his kids are spliced in along with him taking risks for the sport. You know, Noelle was just a toddler at this point in time. She couldn't have been more than four years old. Uh, they were all in the front row watching in horror as he took like, you know, 17 chair shots to the head at the 99 Rumble, 1999 Rumble by, by The Rock. Uh, Nate and I reviewed that show. So if you check the Game Changers archives on Nate's Spreaker page or his YouTube page, I recommend going back and listening to that. That was one of our first. Actually, I'm certain that might have been our actual first ever review together. That was pre-network. That was before I joined his network, and then him and I joined, you know, Wrestle Addict Radio. And, you know, this is just talking about Mick Foley's risks and all that. And then we have Jake Roberts, who was at the height of his popularity in the 80s. Now, or, you know, retrospectively in 1999, he is a crack cocaine addict. He is estranged from his daughter. And although he was once one of the most famous wrestlers in the world, performing in front of tens of thousands, he is now performing in front of tens. And Jake is shown trying to reconcile with his daughter. He's being interviewed after repeatedly smoking crack in a hotel room, not shown on camera. And musing aloud about his illicit sexual dalliances while traveling. It was awkward. So it was so awkward and just so hard to watch. And you know, I love Jake and you know, hindsight it's hindsight is twenty twenty in the year twenty twenty. Ha 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 Shut up. That joke sucks. Um it's so great to see Jake is doing well and uh like last week on AEW well last week from recording this is the twenty fifth of of March I'm I'm recording at just after NXT aired and I didn't watch AEW yet. Jake's promos are just so good. You know, he can be like, you know, you you can try to avoid me and his his client Lance Archer. You can try to avoid us and get out of harm's way, but it's another thing to completely ignore me. To completely ignore me is to spit in my face. And Jake just the complete turn that he had was so good it was so encouraging and you know now i love him for it and then there was another segment here of course we it covered uh the hiring of darren drozdov you know he's gonna puke he's gonna puke uh and, you know, also we had, you know, Michael Modest and Tony Jones. They were two wrestlers that were trying to break into the business and were getting a tryout match with the WWE. Michael Modest, I believe, was in WCW, if I'm not mistaken. I, I might be mixing him up with someone else. I don't know if he was known as Kiwi, unless I'm getting someone completely mixed up. But neither of them were really hired on. I believe one of them had a tryout match with Christopher Daniels that was shown in this movie. And Christopher Daniels, of course, at the time was uh, 
I believe he was at a developmental contract with WWE. He was a enhancement talent. Like he was involved in the light heavyweight title tournament that was won by, you know, Taka Michinoku. And you know, Vince McMahon is shown here with an inter- interviewing Drozdov and how he got the name Puke. And you know, it's just it is revealed because this happened while filming about you know Draz's, you know, paralyzed in an accident. Now at the time. This might have rubbed wrestlers the wrong way. Uh, WCW refused to participate in this. Uh, Blaustein approached the WWE about involving them in 1997. But he then he later tried to pull out of the deal. Jake the Snake was informed that he would be used to help children but never transpired. Uh this this made this made Jake in a bad light for for years. Uh, the critics gave it an eighty two percent fresh. If you believe in Rotten Tomatoes, I think Rotten Tomatoes is well Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the the wrestling industry McMahon removed all the advertising for this from WWF broadcasts. Lionsgate Films uh, considered filing a lawsuit for restraint of trade. Uh, Roddy Piper appeared with Blaustein on Larry King Live to discuss the wrestling business. He called the movie the best documentary ever made on professional wrestling. Likewise, Hulk Hogan expressed interest in appearing in the next one should Blaustein make one. Did he? In Ron Howard voice, he did not. In June 2011, you know, Blaustein uh, had a one... Uh, took place in an interview with John Pollock in which he discussed the problems about this with Vince McMahon's blessing. And it was Linda McMahon who was actually more upset with it than Vince due to the portrayal of the company in the time and the lack of emphasis of fun in professional wrestling. Now, uh, Funk was, you know, he was inducted uh, into the Hall of Fame along with his brother Dory Jr., in 2009 we see all that we see that all the fates of here we had uh terry's uh terry's friend mr stamp uh unfortunately died of lymphoma in 2017 and he was posthumously inducted into the amarillo sports hall of fame you know jake and of course we all know how good jake the snake roberts is i haven't seen anything here about you know, Michael Modest and that other fellow that that wrestled. I'm just going through the wiki page here, and it says the fate of the wrestlers profiled. You know, Mick Foley, former Raw General Manager, two, three times over, still makes occasional appearances at conventions and does an amazing stand-up, uh, which I think I watched one on YouTube. Foley's hilarious. He's a great storyteller and just a great mind for the business. Now, this was important to me as a fan because it actually reviewed, revealed a side of wrestling I didn't know existed. To me, wrestling was just something that was on Monday night. I didn't know Rock and Mankind were actually friends after, you know, they brand each other with steel chairs 80, 87 times apiece. <laughs> so, yeah, th- this one meant a lot. To- I, haven't s- I haven't seen it since. I don't think I'd be able to watch it now. Despite the fact we know the fate of Jake the Snake now, I can't see him in that light again. It's just something I can't do. It would be too tough. 
Now, finally, on to the music of March 2000. We have Disturbed's Down With The Sickness is a number one hit. Their first album, I think, was called also that, Down With The Sickness. It also featured Stupefy, which was a massive, massive hit. Uh, we had NSYNC's No Strings Attached, which include Bye Bye Bye. We had Pantera's Reinventing Steel. Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again. Talk about a stacked month of music. I'm sure I'm missing a ton more. For for video games, we had Wario Land 3 on the Game Boy Color. Uh, continuing the... Well, what's not not the reboot, the the branch off of the Mario Land franchise because we had Mario Land 1 and then Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins. My personal favorite Mario game, I think of all time, maybe just after Mario 3. We had the offshoot of the Wario franchise. This is the third one in the series. You know, just like a puzzle platformer, Wario can turn into different things and it's a really, really weird game, and now I can see why the WarioWare games are considered kind of weird, too. Uh, Kirby 64, uh, The Crystal Shards. This was, you know, Kirby's first foray into uh, 3D, although this was kind of like a 2.5D platformer. There was a lot of 3D uh, implements. A lot of people don't like the way this game looks. I think it's fine. It's got kind of got the cutesy, cartoony... Paper Mario-esque-ish vibe to it. If you liked Kirby 3 for the Super Nintendo, this looked kind of like the same way. And I thought it played played pretty well. It's got an amazing soundtrack. We also had Soldier of Fortune, a series that spawned many titles on the PC. MDK2, a like a 2.5D platformer shooter for the PlayStation that had, uh, I think, only had two games, unfortunately. In TV, we have a lot, a lot of Simpsons, Futurama, and Family Guy to go over, so I'm just going to briefly touch on them. Bart to the Future. Now, this is an episode a lot of people point to the Trump presidency prediction. It was only mentioned in passing, you see. Uh, the Simpsons go to a Indian casino. Bart ends up in the chief's office. And he is given a vision of his future, you know, which Bart is an unemployed musician kind of bum living with Ralph for some reason as an adult. Uh, Lisa is successful and the president-elect of the United States. And this is where the line comes in. It's like, and she's all like, okay, we have a lot to clean up from President Trump. So that's the only mention and the only prediction, if you will, that Trump ever had on The Simpsons. That whole escalator picture, everyone circulates around saying, Simpsons predicted this too. Uh, that was made after the fact, after Trump was elected, actually months after the fact. Uh, and either it was animated by them or this was something that was doctored on the internet as well. So Simpsons didn't predict Trump and they didn't predict Steve Carino virus. Futurama, as I said, it's one of my personal favorite shows ever. A clone of my own where Professor Farnsworth decides to make a clone of himself to kind of be an heir or a son to him uh, named Cubert. 
And then Cubert would go on to be a regular character throughout the rest of the series. Um, how Hermes requisitioned his groove back. Uh, Hermes is the Planet Express's bureaucrat and accountant. So he gets knocked down a few pegs by the head comptroller. And it's just how Stella got his groove back, but with Hermes. Uh, Deep South, which is a kind of a little mermaid kind of ripoff where the Planet Express goes under the sea to the lost city of atlanta now that's kind of funny and then they had i believe beck sang a song about atlanta and how it got washed away and the and people had to flee and the people that got left left behind got turned into sea creatures and mermaids and whatnot fry falls in love with a mermaid and when they're about to have sex he's just like uh where do i put my um yeah how do i do this and it's something about fertilizing eggs and whatnot uh, Zoidberg, being a space crab, makes the best of the situation, and he builds a nice undersea house out of a giant shell. And because you know, because he's a crustacean, he just like, oh, I'm going to move on to a bigger and better shell because, well, that's what crustaceans do. Hermit crabs do that kind of thing. And Bender gets made. Uh, just an episode about Bender joining the robot mafia. I I loved that the Don bot was basically. Uh, Fat Tony as a robot. And then you had uh, Clamps. He's got to get the Clamps. And uh, Joey Mousepad, who had the friggin' mouse on his chest. I love this. Uh, Family Guys, if I'm dying, I'm lying. Basically, this was just a, a TV show that Chris and Peter were bonding over. Gets cancelled. And then Peter makes up this lie that Chris is dying of cancer. So they can bring the show back. Uh, running mates, uh, Peter and Lois, run run against each other as school board directors. A picture is worth a thousand words. Where and a picture is worth a thousand words. Where uh, Chris becomes a uh, New York City artist called Crystal Bell. And yep, that is pretty much all of the pop culture stuff coming out of March 2000. After this non-commercial commercial break, more like my second segment I recorded at a different time, you're going to hear about WrestleMania 2000, Living Dangerously 2000, and Uncensored 2000. WrestleMania, I'll say, was pretty good to revisit. Uh, a pretty fun time, you know, that was another one of my classic, my friend Dave's basement pay-per-views, and it was just a good time, you know, being a teenager doing the Attitude Air was was something really special. So, that's, that's enough for that. <laughs> so, I'll be right back with the rest of the show, and I should actually mention now that... Every WrestleAddict Radio Patreon show that I release myself, you know, be it be it Twenty Bell Salute, be it Fretz's Fave Five, all of mine will be free. Now we are in the middle of a free preview week on the War Patreon, but I decided to take it a step further because, well, honestly, I don't release. I don't think I release Patreon content as much as them. Uh, I haven't watched almost any wrestling this week. So you might not see a Fretz's Fave 5 next week. I might bring in 
the retro vibe to it. I might go back in time for that too. So, okay. See you after the break. (laughs) Welcome back to the 20 Bell Salute, folks. This is Mr. Fretz. Time to talk about the wrestling portion of the show. Of March 2000. We have... WrestleMania 2000 to talk about and review. And a fun fact about this particular event's theme, which you can hear in the background right now, the beat to this was eventually used in the entrance theme for Rodney Mack and later Teddy Long, holla holla playa. So before we jump down to California for... WrestleMania 2000, we have an ECW and a WCW event to to talk about. One of them is okay. The other is not. And if you want to hear about how bad WCW Uncensored 2000 is, go back into our archives and listen to to Brother Mance from the Gift of Podcast uh, review this show. Uh, Mance Brother... Again, how did you do it? So we have Living Dangerously 2000 from ECW. That took place on March 12th, 2000 from the O'Neill Center in Danbury, Connecticut. And the main event of this show was uh, booked around the vacant TV title. There had been a tournament to crown a new champion through weeks of television because Rob Van Dam vacated it due to an injury. And this was the end of his historic 23-month reign as the TV champion. He almost made it to two years, but I think he blew out his knee or something, and he was out of action, I think, until the very last ECW event in, was it January, February 2001? And I can't remember what that is. Guilty as charged, it might have been. Yeah, he came out in the main event. I think he wrestled Jerry Lynn. Anyways, we'll get to that when we get to that. Because that was quite the event, I seem to remember. I had it on, on VHS. I did a little bit of tape trading in my day. So living dangerously, here are the results. We have a dark match between Mikey Whipwreck and Pitbull number one. I don't remember Gary Wolf working in ECW past like 1997, but here he was. Uh, and now getting into the main card here, we had Death the Road, baby, defeating Steve Carino in a Texas bull rope match. Yes, Dusty Rhodes was actually in ECW for a spell. So was Billy Corgan, and they both feuded with Steve Carino, because Carino at this point in time was just an absolute twat and a fantastic heel. Kind of reminds me of Adam Cole now, in a way. Maybe because of the look, like short, blonde hair, beard, that kind of stuff. (laughs) So we have the new Dangerous Alliance of C.W. Anderson and Bill Wiles, with Louie Dangerously, the Xanta Clause to Paul Heyman, Paulie Dangerously, if you will, defeating Danny Doring and Roadkill with Electra. And in the middle of the card, the fourth match in, 
ECW champion Mike Awesome with Judge Jeff Jones defeated Kid Cash to retain the ECW Heavyweight Championship. Awesome was working in WCW at this point in time. And you know what? I'm just going to quickly jaunt over to Uncensored and he is not booked. So was he in? No, he might have been in contract limbo because not long after this, Taz, who was in the WWE at this time and on this WrestleMania event as well, wrestled the ECW champion Mike Awesome, who was a WCW contracted wrestler, for that title. And that's like the only, I think that's the only time ever that a WWE contracted and a WCW contracted wrestled. And they wrestled for an entirely different promotions title. I think I'm going to get in that in, in the April show. So uh, we will we will see. Providing that I'm not reviewing this from a fallout shelter. <laughs> so next up we had Nova and Chris Chetty defeating Jado and Ghetto in a tag team match. Whew. There's something else that's new to me. Jado and Gato, who are legends in New Japan, and I think now well, Gato at least is a manager for, I want to say Bullet Club, but I'm probably wrong. Uh, Zach, you can help me out with that, please. Um, I I watch m some New Japan, mostly the big shows like, you know, like Wrestle Kingdom and uh, I can't remember the name of the other ones because I just worked night shift and I'm tired. <laughs> so next up, we had Rhino and the Sandman in an te oh, <clears throat> a television title semi-final match. Rhino defeated the Sandman by forfeit. And I am going to see why this is. Oh, because he attacked Sandman earlier in the show and was unable to compete. Hmm, that's some good booking. So the next semifinal match was super crazy, defeating Little Guido with Big Sal. Anytime these two guys got in the ring, whether it's super crazy and Little Guido, super crazy and Tajiri, or the triple threat matches between, you know, crazy Guido and Tajiri were magic. Just fantastic, fantastic wrestling. You know, Guido, a.k.a. Nunzio, underrated performer in the ring. Some of his stuff in ECW, just mwah, look it up. And, a, and in a quick singles match, Balls Mahoney defeated Kintaro Kanemura, someone I've never heard of, and Wing Kanemura... Death matches. Okay, he was a death match guy. Uh, thanks, Wikipedia. You're being quite, quite helpful. Excuse me. Uh, there, deja vu with the coffee. Perfect. So we had New Jack fighting Vic Grimes with DeVito and Angel to a no contest. Just because a lot of New Jack matches and a lot of ECW matches in general were either just schmazes or schmazes that turned into a match or matches that break out into a schmaz and there's just a bunch of high spots and if it's new jack 
Um, his crappy rap theme is playing in the background the entire time. He is kicking some ass. And, uh, yeah, you know. So we have, um, oh, here we go. Jack and the Bolt. We had Dabaldi's attacked Paul's Mahoney after the match. New Jack made the save and attacked Dabaldi's with various weapons, leading to a match between Jack and Grimes. Of course, it spilled the ringside, went out through the arena. They climbed off the top of a steel structure and fell off into two tables. Grimes landed hard on Jack's head, and which gave uh, New Jack, surprise, surprise, quite the wound on his forehead. I mean, his forehead almost rivals that of Abdullah the Butcher. Google it, kids. So we had a tag team championship match. Between the Impact players. That's not just the coolest. That's not just the best. That's from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. That, my friends, is just incredible. The Impact players. Oh, just a... One of my favorite ECW tag teams at this point in time. Although I hated them because I was 16 and I was cheering and booing who the TV told me to. Isn't that what a mark is called, I believe? And I don't care. I don't think that's an insult. That's just a general term wrestling fans use. And the fact that it's used as an insult is dumb. You know, I still, I uh, mark and smark. Yeah, I'm not getting into that argument. So, Impact players with Jason Knight and Don Marie <laughs> defeated Raven and Mike Awesome with Francine and Tommy Dreamer and Masato Tanaka in a three-way dance for the Tag Team Championship. And for some reason, Raven and Mike Awesome were the Tag Team Champions. I thought that was Raven and Dreamer. Okay, uh, whatever. <laughs> so I have here... Yeah, Raven and Mike Awesome defended the Tag Team Championship against Masato Tanaka and Tommy Dreamer and the Impact Players... Uh, Tanaka hit a roaring elbow onto Awesome for the first elimination. Oh, it's a Tanaka-Awesome feud. Get in. And then the Impact players delivered a deep impact to Dreamer to win the titles. And that is a, I see, it's a spike pile driver. And in the main event, Super Crazy defeated Rhino in the tournament final for the vacant TV title. Doesn't sound like that bad of a card. I mean, ECW cards, especially latter ECW cards, were mostly schmazes. But, eh, I'd give that a watch on the network. Despite the fact we would have a lot of terrible dubbed over music. Oh, man. Just get the rights to Metallica. I watched the final Nitro for, for another review. And... Sting was using Seek and Destroy by Metallica at the end of his WCW ten tenure. And they didn't have it on the network. And I don't think they have, like, Enter Sandman on there either. Or Man in the Box by Alice in Chains. Ah, oh, man. If, if, if only we, we can get these cheap and with music and stuff. So now jaunting over to WCW. Oh, gosh. Uncensored 2000 in the American Airlines Arena just a week after this on March 19th, 2000. 
Oh, and there's a what? There is a uh, water destructed area. It says, okay. Uh, Wikipedia. I'm not gonna look that up. So WCW Uncensored 2000. Let's just rip this off like a bandage on a hairy leg. The artist, formerly known as Prince Ikea, retained the Cruiserweight Championship against Psychosis. Norman Smiley defeated the Kiss Demon. No, Norman Smiley and the Kiss Demon defeated Lenny Lane and Rave. Okay. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated the Wall Brother by disqualification. Brian Nobbs defeated Three Count. That's Evan Courageous, Shannon Moore, and Sugar Shane Hurricane Helms. In a three-on-one hardcore championship match to win the title. Oh, that's when Three Count co-hold the hardcore title. <laughs> Ooh, okay. That's fun. So, Billy Kidman and Booker T with Tori Wilson defeated Harlem Heat 2000. Oh, no. That's Big T, FKA Ahmed Johnson, with about 100 extra pounds. And Stevie Ray with Cash and Jay Biggs, who I believe was, yeah, he was Clarence Mason. Oh, my. Vampiro defeated Fit Finley in a False Count Anywhere match. The Harris Brothers, Ron and Don, you know, a.k.a. the Blue Brothers, a.k.a. the Disciples of Apocalypse, defeated the Mamelukes, Big Vito and Johnny the Bull with Disco Inferno, for the Tag Team Championship. Dustin Rhodes defeated Terry Funk in a Bull Rope match. That's about a... That's a generational gap right there. Sting defeated Lex Luger in a Lumberjack match. Sid Vicious retained the WCW title over Jeff Jarrett. Okay, I'm a big Sid mark, so I get this. And in the main event... Oh no, it's this. <laughs> Hulk Hogan defeated Ric Flair in a Yappa Pie strap match. Oh... Mance, do you drink? How did you do this? How did you watch this? <sighs> I'm going to take a breather. I'm going to go build something in Animal Crossing New Horizons. And when I come back, I'm going to review WrestleMania 2000. Stay tuned, my friends. And now I have returned. Sorry, Tom Nook is kind of being a pain in the butt. Yeah, it's uh, Animal Crossing's quite the game. First one I've ever played. Doing that in some of my off time. Some of my downtime. <laughs> so, we are starting off right away with a tag team match player. Pimps versus Cops. D'Lo Brown and the Godfather going up against the Big Boss Men and Bull Buchanan. Oh, the Pimps are accompanied by Ice-T singing... Godfather's crap aggression theme. Oh man. That is an album I will absolutely not review and talk about. WWF aggression. And it's all like rap. And you know, to quote the West Texas Rednecks, you know, there's only one thing that I hate, and it's a bunch of crap. 
uh, I hate rap, but I kind of also hate country too. Except Garth Brooks, Johnny Cash, Brooks and Dunn. Some classic stuff. Country today, not a chance. Old school, okay, I'll tolerate you. Anyways, here, they go pimpin' it, pimpin' it, easy man, pimpin' it, pimpin' it, easy man. That's the whole song. Ice tea, you suck. I'm sorry, this will get me booted off the network, but holy crap, this was terrible. Not as bad as an entrance theme we are going to hear later tonight, and that one might get me roasted. Actually, maybe not. (laughs) Anyways, there's something about one of the women that makes King say, I want to swing like that in my backyard. (laughs) Um, what? Okay, Jerry. And, you know, JR says, you know, Boss Man's record is sparkling and it's hmm, four to one. Let's see. WrestleMania 5, the Twin Towers defeated the Rockers. Okay. WrestleMania 6, Big Boss Man defeats Akeem. Yep. WrestleMania 7, Big Boss Man defeats Intercontinental Champion Mr. Perfect by disqualification. Or did he lose by disqualification? I can't remember. I remember Andre the Giant got involved and just rammed the title in Perfect's face. WrestleMania 8, Bossman was a part of a eight-man tag with, I think it was like Virgil and the Bushwhackers against the Mountie, the Nasty Boys, and somebody. I can't remember. And then he came back for WrestleMania 15, and oh, 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 that match. Yeah, that Hell in the Cell match. Nope, 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 nope. And then, you know, there's something about uh, Loud Boss Man sucks chance. And then uh, JR making a quip about Ice T. You know, I'm a Lipton guy myself or something about Snapple. Oh, no, not the Snapple. Wait, that's a year later. <clears throat> Spoiler alert. Snapple does not survive WrestleMania X7 RIP. So Bull Buchanan for a quite large individual at, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of between 6'8 and 6'9, nice, and maybe just south of 300 pounds. The man's agile. Very agile, in fact. He does a wicked, you know, slingshot reversal into, like, a lariat. He does a... No, I mean, him and the boss man do, like, the classic boss man baseball slide and a punch, but they, you know, twin magic it a little bit. You can look, but you can't... Oh, no, I am not picturing the bell. Actually, the bell is in SWAT uniforms. Not bad. <laughs> oh, boy. Big boss. Nope. Big boss Buchanan. Ha! Save. James Reimer with the save. Yeah, I used to be a big James Reimer fan when he was on the Leafs. Cyborg. Oh, my gosh. I am torturing you, folks. <laughs> Sick axe kick by, by Bull who was having just an impressive outing during this. He was relatively new in the company. I think he only debuted uh, just after No Way Out, if, if I'm not mistaken. And then you see the Boss Man Slam, followed by a sick flying leg drop by that big, big bull. And there's there's a win. 
you know, this is just a, a nothing tag match. Uh just to get this new heel team over and that's not the only time we're gonna see see this and folks i do have a how i would have booked for this event but i will release it later actually it was one of my first if not my actual first podcast i ever did on the fretzelmania feed just over a year ago and it's it's not good I don't know how to deliver. I just read it verbatim and I'm very stoic. But if you know me, once you get to know me and you break my shell just a little bit, you know, kind of like cracking open a pistachio shell to get to the nice little nut inside, that's me, especially with a nice little nut inside that I am. So we see uh, Triple H and Stephanie in a dick measuring contest. I mean, a title comparison contest. You know, like... And basically, I'm the new WWF champion. And Stephanie, the uh, women's title. Uh, I don't know if they're playing whose belt is bigger. I, I, I don't know. This was when Stephanie was just turning into the billion dollar princess. The the crimped hair. the the Just the resting bitch face. Which is one of my biggest turnoffs. For, for the record, my goodness, oh, I hated Triple H and Stephanie at this point in time. I still do, actually, but not as much. And coming up next, we have the hardcore title 24-7, 15-minute battle royal. Uh, that's a mouthful. So we have hardcore champion Crash, hardcore Holly, the APA, Kayentai, the Mean Street Posse, the Headbangers, Taz, and Viscera. Uh, Tim White refereeing, uh, you know, backstage being like, hey, this is the rules of the match, blah, blah, blah. And I thought I heard the Mean Street Posse get a little bit of a pop. Don't know why. <laughs> they were crap. But looking back on them, it's just a bunch of preppy white boys and sweater vests. It's fun. It's fun. So, both Hollies confuse us by using the exact same entrance theme, which, by the way, was used in a scene in Dodgeball, a true underdog story. Uh, I'm going to watch that later. Great movie. So, Crash Holly comes out with that ridiculous doctor scale and his little backwards hat, and just right away, boom. Tazplex and Taz is now the champion. So the rules of this match are like I should have explained it first. <laughs> oh, classic frets. That there's a 15 minute time limit. The 24 seven championship, not championship rule, is in effect, and the person who is the champion at the end of this match, you know, walks out of WrestleMania as champion. So the title can change hands as many as. One, two, ten, or no times at all, Crash. <laughs> that, was a, that was a great little knot by Tim White. Love Tim White. So, as soon as the match starts, everything just breaks out into a schmoz as like a, what, there's like 12, 13 people in this match. All on the outside, some getting on the inside. Taz hits a Tazplex and is immediately the new champion. Uh, so, I took notes about what weapons 
were involved in this match. And there's quite a smorgasbord. And I can see how uh, No Mercy got a bunch of their um, <laughs> weapons in their game. You know, except I didn't see a giant copy of The Rock Says or a giant wedge of cheese. Oh, wait, there is a wedge of cheese coming up next. Oh, no. So there's a wet floor sign. An ore. The kitchen sink. Everything in the kit, but the kitchen sink, including that. A phone. And I'm talking about your old school phone that had a cord. Remember those kids? Oh. I, I thought it was an umbrella, but it was something else. Uh, yeah, so, and then later on here, uh, Viscera hits the world's strongest slam on on Taz and wins his only singles title in WWE history. Yikes. And then we see a whole whack of unprotected unprotected chair and weapon shots. Uh, JBL breaking out the shopping cart uh, and like lifting it and throwing it. Um, okay, you all know that I'm a grocery clerk. Those things are heavy. I've tried picking them up, you know, to kind of like get them over a curb or to like do something or like lift them over, lift them, you know, to like the back room because the wheel is broken and we got to go get it fixed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they're very heavy. That is impressive strength by JBL, who, you know, I was listening to uh, Cultaholics Classic Smackdown review and I seem to remember this as well. Um, Bradshaw was a little pudgy. You know, I shouldn't talk because I'm fat with a capital at, but, you know, they, they they made that observation. Nothing wrong with a little bit of pudge, you know. Uh, so we see this whole thing about Viscera, you know, planets orbiting around him. Uh, we see Visc go to the top row. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah, Viscera going to the top rope, and he is either going to kill himself, kill whoever he's going to land on, or Ric Flair flop. Which one is it? Do, 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 do. APA just veal him. Uh, 2x4 gets involved. Ho! Bradshaw hits a super shoulder block, and they throw, just because... Uh, I guess APA like taking the piss out of Kai and Tai, whether they were, you know, beating them up in the ring or they would go backstage in their little poker table office and uh, getting them drunk. Uh, it was fun. Even even when Bradshaw as um, like post Blackjack Texas Bradshaw, my favorite Bradshaw for the record, other than drunk IPA Bradshaw, some of my favorite of him before he became jbl one of the worst character transformations in wrestling history this was fun so they throw funaki and taka on top of viscera and it's like who's the new champion it's like they both celebrate funaki and they just taka just slaps him in the face and then they run they bolt because kai and tai you know running away <laughs> they go backstage rodney wins the title and then joey abs i think he wins it i think he then wins it and then out of camera out of nowhere just wham gets home with a food shop with like a you know a food cart uh, like a catering food cart just 
plows him. Thrasher uh, wins one, and then he uh, crosses the desert and the unblinking eye. Uh, you know, that bit from The Simpsons when Homer's getting slapped by the in the butt by the stonecutters. Hey, they say that crossing the desert is a lot like the unblinking eye, but it's more like the wreck of the Hesperate. And now for the final ordeal, the paddling of the swollen ass with paddles. Yeah, points if you get that reference. I actually talked about that this week when I did a little bit of a, a Evil Uno Dark Order bit on my Francis Faye 5. Listen to it, by the way. Uh, highly recommend. <laughs> and then Gas, Pete Gas wins the title, and he is gacked. He is bleeding hard. That picture of his face when he won the title, like, yeah! He's... Oh, looks like friggin' Flaring Rhodes from the 80s. <laughs> Hilarious. We see a Tazplex, and then uh, there's a four-minute warning. Nope, not that many-minute warning. Uh, we're uh, two years away from that? Yeah, two years away from that. Uh, Thurman Sparky, Plug, Hardcore Holly. Uh, Mosh pins Taz. Yeah, Taz wins it back from Pete Gas, I think. Uh, Mosh pins Taz. Uh, Holly's team up on Taz. There's an EC dub chant. And then, you know, they're fighting over... The Hollies are fighting over the pin on Taz. Um, so, something about... I don't know. I don't know what this quote was in context with because I've watched. I watched these shows in spurts, over a period of of several weeks. Actually, it's like he never did have. He never did have him. Have his or all of his. No. <clears throat> Start again. Take two. And I'm not deleting this. He never did have both oars in the water. Uh, King referring to. I'm assuming Crash, or or someone. They fight over the pin, and then. Crash wins. All of a sudden, there's 36 seconds to go. There's a Taz mission. It's locked in forever. In comes the candy jar. Bob Holly hits Taz with it. And this is this is where the match just, just went down. There was supposed to be some kind of time limit draw or something. It was a botched pin. Tim White might have had his time off, but it was supposed to end at 3-2-1, like 1, 2, 3, and both end at the same time, but Tim's time was off, and the and he was about to hit the 3, and he thought, oh shit, my timing's off, I effed up. Vince is going to kill me, oh no. So, there's all this confusion about who pinned who and what, and uh, Bob Holly walked out with the title. I assume that Crash was supposed to walk out with this title. This was supposed to be like a, a time limit decision or something because Crash was still the champion and he would have just barely squeaked out with the title. But Crash won it back like, I don't know, the next night on Raw or backstage or something. Yeah, so this match was kind of fun, but the the end just, eh, it just kind of ruined it for me. I love hardcore. I love hardcore matches. I love this era of the twenty of not the twenty four seven title. Gosh, the hardcore title with the twenty four seven rule with Crash Holly just barely escaping and getting out of harm's way. Whether he's fighting over the title at a hotel room or you know uh, the Fun House, like Funtime USA, I think that place was called, a friggin' amusement park. 
the Lesser said about King of the Ring 2000. Oh my gosh, I'm reviewing that this year, aren't I? Ooh, yeah, just the fun, fun stuff. So we see WrestleMania access footage here. Uh, just seeing Kane in like a long sleeve sweatshirt and his big goofy mask was just so unintentionally hilarious. It's like, like you know, casual like me. I'm wearing you know a plain T-shirt and my track pants because it's my day off. And yet, Kane would wear his mask over with that to keep kayfabe. Like the the links that these people would go through at this point in time. Like he would he would probably have driven to to the gas station after a show with his mask still on. I imagine, or maybe by the time he got behind the wheel, no one would know, or he would be like, you know, oh, gotta put it back on so I can you know go you know, keep character. Yeah. Uh, we see, you know, the Snickers blimp. And then there's a backstage promo with Al Snow and Steve Blackman. Ah, oh, Al Snow. Just the butt of every McFoley's jokes. And it's warranted because Al Snow is crap. But he's fun crap. You know, that, um, actually I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> you probably know where I was going to go with this. So, we see the head cheese promo and we... They're in front of like a part of uh, a bathroom stall, and uh, Al Snow is talking to somebody, and they're like, "Hey, okay, keep it down." Steve Lackman's like, "No, this is WrestleMania. You're not doing some stupid crap tonight. No." It's like, "Okay, shut up in there." It's like, "What's that? Oh, mm -mm, faulty plumbing." No, Al, don't do it. It's like, keep it down in there, and light a match, and then the camera pans to a gratuitous shot right in your face of Trisha's big fake cleavage tits. Uh, I met Trish a couple of years ago and um, I think they were less deflated, if you know, you know, but my goodness, just the TNA. Uh, oh, that's why they call it TNA. I got it 20 years later. Just kidding. I got it at the time. TNA accompanied by T <laughs> versus Al Snow and Steve Blackman. Uh, Test and Albert. And then, of course, Al Snow interviews Chester McCheeserton, a small person dressed up in a wedge of cheese who could have passed off as being a Green Bay Packers mascot. Is this 1987? Is this a, a six-person tag with Hillbilly Jim and two small people against King Kong Bundy? Am I going to see King Kong Bundy body slam this guy? I was hoping so. But it's terrible, but it's fun terrible because it's Al Snow. It gets a pass. This is just, you know, I'm not going to talk much about it. Basic tag match. The new heel, the newly formed heel team wins uh, with, I think it's the Baldo Bomb followed by the Flying Elbow by Test. Impressive for a big man who's, you know, almost three, almost uh, 300 pounds, seven feet tall, uh, then I told you all before, Tess grew up in a neighboring town to me, although I never met him. I went to a house show in his hometown of Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. And he main evented it against Scott Steiner. I'm going to review that another day because that was interesting. So, you know, it ain't easy being cheesy, blah, blah. Oh, come on. Chester Cheetah, call the lawyers. <sighs> cheesy jokes stop 
James, stop. And then, you know, after the match, we're like, yeah, I tried, it failed. I tried, Steve. This fails. It's time to cut the cheese. Uh, okay. Um, I didn't hear a fart noise. <laughs> but, you know, then they do the uh, sidewalk slam, uh, ten, uh, flying leg drop combo to the, to the little person. And then backstage, we see May and the cat. Oh, no. Oh, we are having some Austin Powers humor here. Hey, remember Austin Powers, kids? That funny British movie from summer of 1999? Yeah, we're doing Austin Powers humor here. Don't get me wrong, I love Austin Powers. But the way they did this was very cringy. Like, uh, the cat was seemingly, you know, naked at her makeup chair. You know, hair up in a towel. You can kind of see her butt. And then there's all this, you know, uh, uh, May grabs this uh, t-shirt with uh, with a cat on it. A little furry pussy cat. And then, you know, the cat stands in in front of it. And the king's like, ah, move, move the shirt, move the shirt. Uh, it's like, oh, the little furry pussy cat. I get it. You're talking about your vag. And then it's like, they break out these two bottles of water. Here's two jugs for you. That was bad. That was bad. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Here we go. Here we go. This is better. This is good. Triple threat tag team championship ladder match with the Dudleys, Edging Christian, and the Hardy Boys. Dudley Boys have a promo, and it's like, you know, we are taking the ladder match to a whole new level of violence. We are taking... I can't do... Bubba Ray's voice, you know, WrestleMania to a whole new level. And that they are. And then it's like, you know, Felt, shall not. He realized he can't say the F word with the Dudleys. And then there was this hilarious sign at ringside that said, Condoms prevent Dudleys. Oh my goodness, if Big Daddy Dudley was still accompanying them to the ring, he would rip that up and smash that person with it. So right away we get your classic, you know, these three teams in this spot. This is kind of like the the genesis of, of TLC, maybe the uh, conception of it. Although I would argue that the conception of TLC was actually at No Mercy 99, which you can find in the archives of Fretz's Fave 5. Uh, through Fretzelmania feed or right here on the Patreon. So Jeff walks under the ladder. Ha, you jinxed it. Uh, you hear a whole bunch of woo girls in the crowd. If you don't know what I mean, watch How I Met Your Mother. You'll get it. Uh, Zach, I think you get it. So we see a slam on the ladder. Just a whole bunch of crazy spots here. I'm not going to go through every single wacky spot in this match. I highly suggest... Just pressing pause, stop listening to me, and listening, watching, I'm sorry, this match. Just got a text message. Hi, Mom. I will answer that in a minute. So we have a 450 ladder, a 450 onto Bubba Ray, who was on the ladder. But I do believe that Bubba Ray moved, and Jeff Hardy ate that ladder for dinner. See some little sprinkling in of holy shit chance. Bubba Ray grabs the ladder and does like the spinning helicopter blade spot. See a top rope spear by Edge onto Jeff Hardy. 
that's a sign of things to come. Once we get to a year after this, oh, I can hear that call by JR in my head right now. Oh, I can't wait to get there. So we see um, Matt Hardy hit a Splash Mountain Bomb. We see the debut of what is dubbed the Wiley Coyote camera. I think King references the Wiley Coyote thing for the first time tonight. It's like the, that over-the-top ring spot. It's like, it looks like a Wiley Coyote cartoon. Oh, and then that will henceforth be known as that. We see a Bubba Cutter to Christian. Uh... We see an event Omega from the ladders, you know, where Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy do the dueling splash thing. We see a double superplex by Edge and Christian. Everyone is on the ladders now, and then everyone dies. Lance Archer takes notes. We see a reverse DDT by Christian. We see a top ladder leg sweep by, I think, Matt. We see a 3D and a pre-get-the-tables-get-the-table spot. We don't hear, you know, the diva. We just see, you know, Bubba Ray getting his euphoric trance, and then he just signals. He just signals. I don't know if he signals anything, but he just does a thing, and they go get. The, he just pushes Devon, or I don't know what he does. I can't remember. <laughs> so they go get the tables. Uh, Jeff is doing that, you know, tightrope run along the uh, the fan barrier and eats a ladder for his troubles on his way down. And then he breaks, brings out the big ladder. We know what's coming. Uh, I believe it was the Dudleys set up this table on top of uh, two ladders. So there's kind of like a platform there. And of course, we then see the big ladder swanton uh, by Jeff Hardy on the Bubba Ray. That's them out of commission. Excuse me. And then Edge and Christian and Matt Hardy are climbing up, up the ladder onto that little table platformy thing. And then, boom, Matt gets pushed off the ladder and does kind of a sick flip bump through the table. And Edge and Christian win the Tag Team Championship. Fantastic match. Next is the Cat versus Terry. I totally skipped this. I'm not talking about it. No. Too Cool in China versus the Radicals of Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko. Uh, Dean is the newly minted light heavyweight championship, defeating S.A. Rios for the title, I think on Raw or SmackDown, just previous to this. My goodness, just rest in peace to Grandmaster Sexy, China, and Eddie in this match. And China comes out with her bazooka. You know, the one that you can use as an entrance uh, weapon in No Mercy. Hmm, I'm talking about that a lot this year. So China has been, you know, they say, you know, China's been vaccinated for Latino heat. Hmm, I wonder if that vaccination works. Uh, clearly, she, she, she relapsed. So, yeah, China does a little dance. Uh, Saturn just plows Grandmaster Sexay, takes his hat, and starts stomping stomping him, still with the hat on. Kind of a funny visual, given that Perry Saturn can do comedy. Uh, you go back to his WCW days where he, I think he lost a match to Chris Jericho, in which, and then he had to wear a dress. At first it was comedy, and then he turned it like, into his gimmick. Like He had a Marilyn Manson-esque, actually it was a complete ripoff of the Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson theme, 
Oh, those WCW ripoff themes. Fun times. And yeah, Perry Saturn just kind of turned that into his gimmick. They looked really dark and gothy and like leather and all that stuff. It was really cool. So we see uh, Grandmaster Sexay hit a suplex to the outside. Lots of motion captures for No Mercy happening in, the, in these events, I'm, I'm noticing here. We see the worm, but this is pre-W-O-R-M. It's the Bulldog, and you know what's coming. There's still some more to be added to this move and this gimmick, and it's coming very soon. But they still do the who, 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 boom, and there's a double worm on both the radicals. Uh... Eddie Guerrero, like, jogs on his knees and hugs the ref. They kind of like that classic Ric Flair coward spot. China hits two handspring elbows and a double low blow. China hits a powerbomb and then grabs Eddie Guerrero's balls. And that's where she relapsed. <laughs> From Latino heat. And then picks Eddie up for a press slam. And then does a sleeper slam for the one, two, three. And then the next night on Raw, China joins Eddie Guerrero. And at Backlash, they get to go to prom because Eddie gets his GED. And I can't wait to talk about that. That was fun. So the camera pans up and you just see the Big Show and Shane. So it makes, you know, the Big Show look huge. I've met the Big Show. I'm up to his crotch. Literally. So they, they just do the whole thing. It's like a camera pans up and you see legs, legs, crotch, big body. Oh, it's the big show. With, oh, it's big haircut, big show. I'm no longer calling you big tuna. I'm calling you big haircut. Big nasty bastard shirt. Uh, he's like, you know, tonight, the most electrifying, I can't do impressions. A electrifying man is unplugged. Mick will be retired for good and ask for Triple H. Game over. Next up here, another amazing match, another multi-person match. You know, the only one-on-one -on -one match in this entire card is actually the Cat versus Terry, and I omitted it entirely. <laughs> Fun. So we see the Eurocontinental Champion, Kurt Angle, European and Intercontinental Champion, that is, defending his title in a two-fall contest against Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit. Oh my gosh, any combination of these three wrestlers, mwah, magnifique. And despite, you know, Chris Benoit's exit from this world, you know, and, and it's, hard, it's, it's very hard to talk about Chris because of that, but he was one of the most gifted wrestlers of all time. And this match was, you know, one of many, many proofs of it. I'm not condoning anything. I'm talking about Chris, the performer here. I want to make that clear. Because at this point in time, Benoit was probably my top five, top ten favorite wrestlers. And when he won the title, like when he won the world title at WrestleMania 20, I cried. I did. I literally did. I cried. I was so happy. Anyways, so Fall 1 is for the Intercontinental title, and Fall 2 is for the European title. And, you know, this is, you know, Jericho Holic is coined here. Now, Kirk Angel and Mr. Roboto, uh, Y2J Chance. And there was some kind of dubbed thing with the intro here, network shenanigans. Uh, so this is, I, I can't go over every spot and every move in these matches. 
just watch this for yourself because this is technical mastery at its finest. Uh, Jericho is sent to the outside. Kurt is sent out after this, and Jericho is sent back into the ring. Benoit hits Air Canada, the flying headbutt, the flying mistake, if you ask me, and Benoit wins the Intercontinental title, pinning Chris Jericho. This is a knot in the story. Fall 2 for the European title. Uh, Chris Jericho does his awesome double powerbomb to Kurt. Uh, Benoit hits triple Germans. There's a ref bump, there's a crossface, and a visual tap out by Y2J, but no, no, no. Jericho hits a lion, locks in the lion tamer, the walls of Jericho, whatever you want to call it, on, on Benoit. Kurt Angle hit, does a belt shot. Uh, and then Chris Jericho hits a lion salt to Chris Benoit, and he's the new European champion. So Angle lost both belts without being pinned. And this is going to be part of a storyline coming up for a little bit. And, uh, of course, this would lead to Kurt Angle going on to bigger and better things in his young career. Oh, and then, my goodness, th this was good. I should have mentioned at the beginning of this match there was something to do with Bob Backlund uh, was kind of managing or kind of mentoring Kurt Angle, and then it was revealed that, you know, it was Bob Backlund that recommended Angle defend both belts. And what does Angle do? He presses A and B and no mercy and hit locks in the cross-faced chicken wing on Bob. I'm going to make Kurt Angle great again. No, no, I'm not going there. <sighs> Vince McMahon interview backstage. Will I be a factor? Yes, you will. Spoiler alert. And we have... Oh, no. No. Uh, run DMC's rendition of DX. The King of Rock who? The King of Rock what? Oh. Okay, I like me some classic run DMC. But this was not classic Run DMC. This was one of the worst like rap remix entrance themes ever. And we're about to get the Big Show's rap theme next month. And ugh. Yeah, sor sorry rap fans, but this album was crap. But and this had this this CD had legends in the rap industry like, you know, I think it had all the members of the NWA in individual different songs uh and run dmc th th this was bad so it was x-pac and road dog with tori going up against kane and rikishi with paul bearer uh off the match here tori slaps paul bearer in the face paul bearer just glares at her and starts like just slowly chasing her around the ring glaring at her the whole time right away the road dog eats a stink face uh, Tori spots are teased all night, whether she's going to get stink faced or choke slammed or whatever all night, just to get the heat, just to get some heat on because she turned her back on her boyfriend Kane and joined X-Pac after X-Pac like abducted and seemingly raped her or something. Oh man, uh, 2000s storylines. Yeah. So yeah, Tori eventually gets the stink face. Kane's Kane tombstones X-Pac for the win. And then the San Diego chicken comes out and Kane is not amused. Oh, do you remember WrestleMania 15? Well, this particular chicken, firstly, was uh, aggravating boxing legend. I don't want to say legend because he's not that much of a legend. Vinny Pazienza, 
uh, aggravating him in WrestleMania 15 during the Brawl for All. Yeah, the Brawl for All final. Ugh. The Brawl for All match. Let's, let, let's forget Butterbean versus Bark Gun. Nope, didn't happen, didn't happen. Keep going, keep going. So he gets bopped by Vinny Panzienza. Later in the match, someone else, apparently, uh, attacks Kane as well. No, no, WrestleMania 4, was it 14? 15, 16, yeah. 14, Pete Rose is attacked by Kane. 15, Pete Rose, dressed up in the San Diego Chicken, tries to mess with Kane. Takes the thing off, tombstone, revealed it's him. This time, the San Diego Chicken comes out. Kane is like, nope, not amused. That's Pete Rose. He goes for him. And Pete Rose comes from behind with a bat. Rikishi takes it from him. Choke slam, stink face. You can kind of see Pete Rose smirk a little bit because he knew this segment was kind of funny. And then when Pete Rose got inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, um, he asked Rikishi, hey, do you still use that cheap-ass aqua valve on your ass? Funny. So, yeah, Paul Bearer does the crotch chop in this match. Uh, Rikishi... Dances with Too Cool while Kane and Paul Bearer watch in the distance. If this Kane or Paul danced, I probably would have walked out of my buddy's basement watching this. Yeah, watch. This is a Dave's Basement pay-per-view, by the way, in case you didn't know. Okay. The Rock and Kevin Kelly backstage interview. Mm. Oh, Kevin Kelly. Oh, man. The amount of bullying you, you took from The Rock. And then Rock is like, you know, finally... 12 months ago, after every interview, after every run-in, after every backstabbing, every win, every loss, after everything The Rock has got thrown at him, and everything The Rock threw back, every chokeslam, every mandible claw, every pedigree, finally, The Rock has come back to WrestleMania. Classic Rock promo. This, of course, leads up to the Fatal 4-Way match for the WWE title, with a McMahon in every corner. Oh, I wonder how this is going to go. McFoley, accompanied by Linda. The Rock, with Vince. The Big Show with Shane. And Triple H, with Steph. So there was some lead up to this match with all the whole McMahon family feud. No, sorry Steve Harvey. Actually, at this point in time, I think it was Louie Anderson or Richard Karn that hosted it. Anywho... Um, there was that wicked spot on, on Raw where Steph actually went to slap his mom, her mom, her mom. And, you know, Linda blocks it, does the slap herself. Um, okay. <laughs> that, that, that was actually kind of funny. The McMahon family feud had some funny moments, like when Stone Cold stunned literally everyone in the family. Uh, I got a pop quiz for you, folks. Who sings the world's the big show? I'm going to give you a second to Google that or to figure out for yourself. One, two, three. Do, do, do. Michael Hayes. Yes, that's true. So this is just a typical match. There's not a lot of spots. Uh, the big show is triple teamed. Uh, he eats a chair shot to the back followed by a rock bottom for the elimination and he's gone. There's a there's a Socko, there's a belt shot. The Rock goes for the people's elbow, eats a Socko. Hunter hits a low blow. 
while while he has uh, Sako on the rock. I hate you, Hunter. Um, Vince has a chair, and Jerry asks, "Is that for Linda?" You seriously think that Vince McMahon is going to hit his wife with a steel chair? I mean, I wouldn't put it past him at this point in time, but come on, King. Uh, there's a million-dollar knee left by, by McFoley. Uh, McFoley is kind of working with Triple H to eliminate The Rock because he's like, hey, let's eliminate him, then it's down to you and me because we still have business, right? Uh, and the crowd starts to boo McFoley a little bit for working with Triple H, which you know doesn't make a lot of sense given their past two pay-per-view matches. But it's a nice storytelling because of what we're going to get. We see uh, The Rock prone on the announce table. Mick Foley's on the top rope on the on the ring on the top rope of the ring. Goes for a cactus elbow, but I don't think he connects. I think he whiffs on it big time, and it didn't look good. Uh, then back in the ring, <sighs> Triple H pedigrees Mick Foley, and then you see the King calling this calling this match. Kick out, Mick! Kick out! One, two. He did it! He did it! He kicked out! He kicked... Oh, classic, classic JR. And then Triple H chairs McFoley. F you, F you, Hunter. F you. Pedigree on the chair. One, two, three. Damn it! Damn it! Yeah, I was like that too. I was fuming. I'm pretty sure I like tipped over something in Dave's basement. Sorry, Dave. But then at the end of the match, you know, you know, Mick Foley's just walking up the ring, you know, fist held high. I did it. I main evented WrestleMania. I realized my dream. Hang on a second. I'm, I'm Linda. I'm gonna be back, guys. Hold on. Goes, picks up the barbed wire two by four. Wham! Hits Triple H with it. Fans pop. Rock gets a two count. And then Vince McMahon uh, comes back because earlier on in this match, Shane McMahon had attacked him, whapped him with a chair. And then, you know, Shane McMahon comes back out to screw, I guess, screw The Rock. And then out comes Vince McMahon again, just slapping his son right in the face. Uh, and Shane is overselling the slap. Like he comes in, Vince comes to the ring, just goes right in the face. And Shane, like Shane does, just topples over the top rope. Hilarious, hilarious comedy bump. Vince grabs a chair, and as soon as he grabbed the chair, I knew exactly what was going to happen, even when I was 16 and kind of a mark. Vince McMahon picks up the chair, hits the rock, screwing the rock in the main event. Uh, he kicks, the rock kicks out of this one, another chair shot, boom, one, two, three, Triple H retains the WWF title. And Vince McMahon is yet again involved in the main event title match at WrestleMania because he tried to get involved at WrestleMania 15 with Stone Cold and The Rock. He got involved here, and he got involved at WrestleMania X7. Vince McMahon can't leave his main events alone. So, after this, the ring is showered in garbage and beer and water bottles and, and you know, solo cups. The fans are furious. Uh, it, it looked like an NWO segment from 1996. 
Yeah, so that was WrestleMania 2000. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the 20 Bell Salute. Although I recorded this portion of it first, I will get to the pop culture portion of it later. And you won't be able to tell because it will be positioned in the episode in a certain way. (laughs) So WrestleMania 2000, I thought, was okay. I mean, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't terrible. He had some damn good banger matches like like you know the the triple threat Eurocontinental match the of course the uh, tag team ladder match some good spots i mean bull buchanan just had a he had a brief run in the company but this was his coming out party and my goodness what what he could have been phenomenal uh and this was just like peak attitude era you had all these characters that were the centerpiece of the Attitude Era. Like in the main event picture, you had The Rock and and Kane and, and McMahons and Triple H. Yet this was before Commissioner Foley came into the fold. This was like the coming out party for Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, the Radicals. And from here on, for at least the next, I think, year, year and a bit, we're in for a great, great run. This is one of my favorite parts of wrestling history from about 2000 to 2002. Folks, we're in for a ride. Thank you very much for listening. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at the Legendary JF. You can follow my co-host and good brother Nate the F and Great at Real F and Game. Us over at Addict underscore Wrestle. The Kings of the Rings podcast at K O T R underscore Podcast. Uh, the, I almost forgot his name, Zach, from the Young Lions perspective. I'm sorry, Zach. I'm running on low sleep here. At Suede Senator War. And although he does not do very much in, in ways of the network, but he's still, you know, our good brother and good part of, of the channel, uh, Mance, the Gift of Podcast. And I think his Twitter handle is at Gift of Podcast. So, tune in to us, tune in to the Russell Attic Radio feed, as well as our Patreon page, where we will be releasing, you know, some content. You know, I do Fretz's Fave 5 every week I can. I don't think I'm going to have any for for this week, which is the 22nd to 28th. I haven't watched any wrestling yet. I don't know if I'm going to. I'm just very tired, been Working a lot, you know, because, well, I'm deemed an essential service. I'm a grocery clerk, so I'm picking up uh, a lot of extra hours, which is fine by me because I'm working for family, and I would do anything for family, right? So, Fretz's Fay 5 is going to be... Yeah, I might put a new twist on the upcoming Fretz's Fay 5, so you're going to have to wait and see what, what, what that's going to be. And with wrestling, like, you know in front of empty studio audiences or even if that's going to be allowed anymore with more COVID-19 precautions being put in place and gatherings and, and whatever. Don't know what that's going to hold, but there's still going to be some 20 ball salutes. Next month, we will have Backlash 2000, which is one of my favorite pay-per-views from this year. Uh, you know, Backlash, I can't wait to talk about Fully Loaded. You know, Judgment Day isn't bad, but this this one, this holds a special place in my heart, and I'm going to go watch it soon. 
Uh, anyways, again, thank you very much. God bless you, folks. Uh, if you ever feel the need to talk because you're, you know, feeling lonely or feeling bad about, you know, if it's self isolation or if you're scared about this whole thing, my DMs are open at legend at the legendary JF. If you have me on Facebook, you can send me a DM there. Uh, I was going to say send me a text message, but you know, uh, most of you are in the states, and that would cost both of us a lot of money. So, have a good one, folks. God bless you. I love you. Peace.